On February 15th, 2015, something extraordinary happened during the Austin Marathon in Texas. 29-year-old Ivan Natic, a top Kenyan marathoner, was nearing the finish line in this 26.2-mile uh, race and was set, set to win the race by a large margin. Uh, but her body gave out. And with about 50 meters remaining, she dropped to her hands and knees, and with saliva dangling from her mouth, she crawled across the asphalt um, towards the finish line. And marathon staff actually came out to assist her at a wheelchair there, and they offered her some help. They actually aided her to her feet, and uh, she refused their assistance and wanted to keep on and and so exhausted, Ivan Natich crawled to the finish line and crossed. She didn't win. She didn't win. However, and this is absolutely amazing, she took third place with a time of three hours and four minutes and two seconds, just 10 minutes behind the first place finisher and just seconds behind the second place finisher. The race director, John Connolly, was so impressed by this, he doubled her prize money to $2,000. And he said that in the 43 years that he's been involved with this sport, that he has never seen a finish quite like that. When Good Morning America reported on this, anchor Laura Spencer said this, did you notice in the video she never took her eyes off the prize? That's what you call a strong finish. That is a strong finish. A finish like that, it takes grit. It takes determination. And you have to want it really, really badly. And she did. And her gutsy uh, struggle to the end showed you that she wanted it. That finish showed you how much she wanted that finish line. Well, today's passage from Philippians shows the urgency, shows the grit, shows the determination um, needed in the Christian life, which is a lot like an arduous race. Paul used phrases like press on to make it my own and straining forward to what lies ahead and press on toward the goal for the prize. You need urgency. You need grit. You need determination to finish like that. And a big part of pressing on with desire and resolve is never taking your eyes off the goal, never taking your eyes off the prize that is ahead of you. My question for you this morning is, are you finishing strong? Are you finishing strong? You may be four, you may be 34, you may be 94. Are you finishing strong? You may be tired. You may be retired. You may be almost expired. But are you finishing strong? The question is the same for all of us. Are you, are you finishing strong? Are your eyes set on the goal? Are your eyes set on the prize? Are you determined and are you pressing on toward that goal, toward that prize? You can't afford to coast. You can't afford to ease up. You can't afford to slow down. You can't afford to stop. Are you finishing strong? God's word is going to challenge you. It's going to challenge me this morning. There is encouragement here that if we listen closely, can renew our strength to finish strong. And I want to show you from the text how to finish strong. God is, is calling you not just to finish. He's calling you to finish strong. 
strong, to run the race, to run your race in order to not only finish, but to win, to win this thing, to reach and to strive and to strain for the glory that lies ahead of you, and God will be your strength to get there. You finish strong by number one, being humble and knowing you still have much maturing to do. Part of finishing strong is knowing that you have yet to reach the finish line. Uh, There is still distance to cover. Paul said, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. The phrase is, is somewhat thorny because there is no direct object. The words this and it are inserted by the English translator. So what hadn't Paul obtained? That's a little tricky to figure out. Well, some scholars think the resurrection from the dead, others the prize of the upward call, others the righteousness that comes from God, and still others Christ, or maybe everything mentioned in verses 8 through 11. So what is it? What hadn't Paul possessed yet? So the best place to start is in the context to figure something like this out. What did Paul say right before this? What did Paul say right after this? So here's my my thinking. Verses 7 through 11, if you look, is a natural cutoff point to find context. Paul's focus in these five verses seems to be three things. Christ, knowing the surpassing value or or knowing the surpassing value of knowing Christ, and attaining the resurrection, all of which are interconnected. To a certain extent, Paul had already experienced those three things. He had gained Christ. He knew Christ. He had been brought from spiritual death to life. However, not in the fullest sense of that, not in the greatest sense of those things. Paul was looking forward to the culmination uh, and fullness of these three things already, but not yet. He had it, but he didn't have it. He needed progress. When Paul said, not that I have already, already obtained this, and later in verse 14, I do not consider that I have made it my own, I think Paul meant that he hadn't yet obtained perfect knowledge of Christ, which is attained at the resurrection. Paul, Paul was still struggling with sin. In 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, Paul said, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall or then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. Paul's knowledge of Christ was partial, but the fullness of knowing Christ was ahead of him at the resurrection. He hadn't yet obtained it, yet he wanted it. He wanted it. So I think Paul meant Not that I have already obtained perfect knowledge of Christ, which comes at the resurrection. Then he added, or am already perfect. What's he saying? This great man of God, the Apostle Paul, was admitting that he wasn't perfect. He was being humble. He was admitting that he had a ways to go. God wasn't finished conforming this great apostle to Christ. There was, there was more sin in him that needed to be put to death, and he admitted that. He admitted that. He didn't take on the posture of perfectionism, which is heresy, but he humbled himself and acknowledged his imperfection and need of God's ongoing, or you could say God's future grace. Here's the application, my friends. Be humble. 
Just humble yourself and know in your mind and in your heart that you have much maturing to do. There is still ground to cover while your heart is still beating. You are not done pursuing closer fellowship with Christ until you're dead. So if you have a pulse, you have distance to cover. You have growth that must come. And think about this. The Christian life is not a relay race where you you go strong and then you pass the baton to the younger people and then you stop running. You have to finish. You have to cross the finish line. You're not passing anything to anybody. Now, in a discipleship sense, you need to pass it on to the next. But that's not what this is saying. You have to finish. You have to cross. To finish well, you need to recognize that the finish line is ahead of you and you are not there, which would, should translate in your mind and in your heart and in your life. Keep running. Keep straining. Keep reaching for the goal until you reach the goal. None of us is perfect. But we're running towards perfection, which awaits us on the other side. You finish strong, number two, by pressing on toward perfection at your coming resurrection. Isn't that a nice little rhyme? Maybe you can remember that easier. Verse 12, but I press on to make it my own. Paul was talking about putting forward great and intense effort. Effort. God's sovereign grace does not nullify our effort. In fact, God's sovereign and saving grace motivates our intense effort. Remember this rhyme, sovereign grace motivates. Sovereign grace motivates. With spirit-stimulated, strenuous effort, Paul sought to make it his own or to seize it or to lay hold of it of perfect knowledge of Christ and perfection which he knew awaited him at the resurrection. Now be clear on this. Human effort contributes absolutely nothing to salvation. Nothing. Nothing. And I hope that you're convinced of that biblically. God does it all. He alone saves. But God's sovereign and saving grace is the catalyst for human exertion. We're back to chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, where working out our salvation is the spirit-empowered response to God-working salvation, God-working desire, God-working work in us. Uh, But make no mistake, we must press on toward the perfect knowledge of and conformity to Christ with dogged exertion. To reach the finish line, it takes strenuous effort. If you feel like you're coasting, something is wrong. Something is very wrong. Now, this is great. This is great. It is possible to rest in the righteousness of Christ. We are, in one sense, just just resting in the fact that He alone is righteous and he has credited his righteousness to us. But we do that resting while we press on toward knowing Christ and being made perfect in him. Dr. Dennis Johnson said this, nevertheless, as Saul rested in a righteousness not his own, the surpassing result was that his assurance became a stimulant, not a sedative to his passion to follow God's will 
and further God's glory, end of quote. You finish strong by number three, receiving sovereign grace from Jesus Christ. Receiving sovereign grace. Notice that before Paul ever pressed on to make it his own, Christ Jesus made Paul his own. I think some translations make verse 12 confusing. I think the ESV and the HCSB are really good at this point. I think they make it pretty clear. It goes like this, the ESV, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Why did Paul press on with intense and strenuous effort? Because Christ Jesus had pursued Paul and had taken Paul to be his own, has made Paul his own. Christ sought us. Christ bought us. We belong to him. And because we belong to him, we have a desire to know him completely and to be conformed to his image. Dr. G. Walter Hansen wrote, divine grace is the source and goal of the human pursuit. As we press on to finish strong, we must constantly remember along the way, Christ has really made me his own. I belong to him. I am his. Belonging to Christ, that's very motivating for us when we know who we are in Christ. It motivates us. We, We are so precious to him and he will not leave us and he will not forsake us. So then he'll give us what we need to press on. He'll be right there along the way so we can press on. Now, this next point is really, really important. Paul is is setting the stage for this one big thing that he was doing. This big thing that he must do and continue to do. You finish strong, number four, by forgetting the good and the bad from the past. Forgetting the good and bad from the past. Verse three, if you'll look at it, or not verse three, verse 13, parallels verse 12. They're very similar verses. Paul says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Again, Paul is very humbly admitting that he is not perfect. He he is an imperfect man that has a long way to go. He needs progress. But even though he was imperfect, he was quick to highlight the one big thing that he did. And there are three parts to this one big thing. So here's the first part of the one big thing. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting isn't so much killing all memories of the past, that you can't look back and remember certain things. I don't think that's what he's getting at. Some memories are wonderful. Some memories are good. In fact, some memories even motivate us to move ahead and to keep going. So, so we want to attack, you know, should we forget what Christ has done for us? No, absolutely not. We, there are certain memories that are, are vital to our endurance. What Paul means is to disregard or to discount the past. Forgetting corresponds to counting everything as loss. Paul needed to forget his impeccable Jewish resume, forget his past good works, forget even his past failures, forget everything behind him. He couldn't stay in the past. He couldn't dwell there. His his focus needed to be ahead on where he was going. The Christian life is about pressing forward, pressing ahead to what lies ahead of us, not clinging to something that is behind us. This is a very, very important focus. 
Now imagine Olympics, an Olympic sprinter is just explodes out of the box, out of the, the, the starting blocks, at the gun, but then turning around and staring at the starting block as, as the race is going on and as he continues to try to run. Well, first of all, come on. He's not going to be very fast or effective when he does that. Plus, it's dangerous. He might trip up on his feet and fall. And who wants to fall on that rough track? I mean, that's going to chew your hands up and your knees. It'd be very, very hard to win that race if you're focused on the starting block. The more you focus on what lies behind you, the less you focus on what lies ahead of you. Is there anything in your past good or bad, that is distracting you from straining forward to what lies ahead of you. The the Christian life is not like a lot of people's retirement, where past successes and investments carry them to the end with ease and with comfort. Whatever lies behind you, whatever success and failure is behind you, must not disturb your tenacious effort to strive for the goal, to to head forward, to get that prize, whatever you have done for God in the past is not sufficient to fulfill what God calls you to do for Him tomorrow. Do you understand that? Maybe you need to reconcile with someone. Maybe you need to make something right or go back and ask for forgiveness. Do it Do what you have to do so that your focus can be right ahead. That's where I got to go. It is on Christ. And and you can't be divided. It has to be undividedly ahead. Undividedly ahead. You cannot finish strong by holding on to what lies behind you. Well, I remember when I served Christ back in 1912. And it was a great time, and I was a missionary, and I did amazing discipleship and stuff. Great! Praise God, his work was in you in 1912. What about from now until you reach the goal? I should read Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, because not only does it reinforce this point, but it translates us into the next point. Listen to this. Let us also lay aside every weight... And sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. So here's the second and the third point of this one big thing. You finish strong by, number five, straining toward the fast approaching finish line as one who really wants to win. Paul said, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, there's the second part of this one big thing. Straining forward to what lies ahead. If you put all your focus and energy on straining forward to what lies ahead, there will be very little focus and energy left for you to to be looking behind you. When Paul said straining forward, it was one Greek word giving the idea of stretching out or or reaching for some goal, and it implies strenuous effort. You're trying hard for this. And we've all seen this in the movies. You've got this group of people, and they're trying to board the train 
a moving train and it's going and they're running and some people jump up on the train but then there's that like one guy that didn't quite make it and he's like strutting and and the scene is there in the hand and he's reaching for the and you're thinking is he going to fall is he on his face is he going to get on the train and then they might bring and pull him up on the train or whatever or maybe he falls and rolls down the hill or something but we get the idea of this straining, this, this reaching. I've, I've got to reach it. That's what Paul is talking about. This strenuous reaching out for what's ahead. Usain Bolt is probably the fastest human being on planet Earth. And I watched some slow motion footage of him sprinting. And, and his legs were so powerful and reaching forward and just for like, bop, it just quickly hit the ground, the balls of his feet. And then his legs would cycle back around and reach again. And, and his arms and, and everything was just pulling. It was like he was just so powerfully pulling towards the finish line. Everything inside of him just powerfully reaching to get there first and to get his 400th gold or however many he has. I don't know, but the dude's fast. I mean, he's amazing to watch. Is this wrong of me if I was rooting for him and I'm not from Jamaica? I, there was a there was the USA guy, and I'm like, come on, you see, <laughs> just just pure dominance of the guy. I don't think that's wrong, but maybe it is. And I'm I don't want to be unpatriotic. I anyway. I was kind of rooting for him. So this is the idea. Straining. Everything inside of you towards that goal. Listen to this remarkable statement Paul made in Colossians 1.29. I love it. He said, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy. With all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You have any question about God's sovereign grace? Who's working? Well, we are, but the only reason we are is because his energy is at work in us. He is the one powerfully working in us. Paul was referring to Christ's energy powerfully working in him. So the the toil and the struggle and the strain ahead is done with the energy that Christ provides you. He will be good to you. He will give you what you need. He works in us. He works in anyone who trusts Christ. What lied ahead of Paul that he was stretching toward? Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He he strains forward and he presses on towards the goal. Kind of like a finish line that was ahead of him. Imagine one little boy saying to another little boy, See that tree out there? I'll race you to that tree. And then off they go. And and all of a sudden, that tree became their focus. That tree became the finish line, the goal. And those boys are running toward that goal. Some goal is ahead of Paul, was ahead of Paul, that, that he was focused on, that he wanted to reach badly. And reaching the goal means Getting the prize that, that waits for you at the goal. Well, what prize is Paul straining and pressing on to receive at the finish line? The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
By upward call, I take Paul to mean the resurrection, where God has called him to eternal glory. The origin of the effective upward call is God. God issues the call. Paul has been talking about the resurrection and about knowing Christ and The resurrection for believers is the gateway to impeded knowledge of Christ. As Paul finishes uh, well, he is guaranteed that prize of being called and ushered by God into eternal fellowship and community with Christ. Paul said something interesting to Timothy. He said, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Grab it, Timothy. You reach out and you grab that, seize the eternal life which God effectually called you to. Those who, who really want it, grab it. They grab for it. The only other place in the New Testament where this word prize is used is 1 Corinthians 9.24, which says this, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, so run that you may obtain it. And in the next verse, he mentions imperishable wreath. This is not the wreath or trophy that we get here. This is something that lies beyond. The prize is God coming and taking you home to know him forever. And there are many winners. It's not just one winner, but we should run in a way as if, man, it's me. I want to win. And so we go for it and we run, we, we run in a way that, that we can win this prize. And we have two beautiful dynamics that are working in these passages or in these verses. Paul is pressing on toward the goal with much effort striving, straining, effort, and yet it is God's upward call that is at work because God called him. Paul is, Paul is simply responding to this effectual call of God. Effectual just means effective. It works. When God calls, people respond. God issued this. The upward call was given to Paul when he was saved, not just at the end, It's when he was saved because Christ Jesus had made Paul his own. The upward call of God was guaranteed for Paul. On the road to Damascus, God issued his effectual and upward call to Paul. And Paul got saved, and so the upward call was entirely his and one day would be in full effect. Paul would reach the finish line through spirit-filled, strenuous effort and be called into the presence of God. That was his pride. That was ahead of him. The upward call was the resurrection which ushered Paul into the presence of the fullness of the glory of God, which is quite a prize. To receive it in full, Paul needed to strain forward and to press on towards it. Listen closely to this phrase. Within God's saving grace is God's stimulating grace. Within God's saving grace is God's stimulating grace. Do you understand that that statement? The prize is not obtained by those who stop reaching for it. Because those whom God saves, God stimulates to reach, to strain, to press on. Dr. William Hendrickson noted this, such spiritual perfection in Christ 
considered as, a, as God's gracious gift, is actually granted only to those who strive for it. If you don't strive, if you don't strain forward, if you don't press on to make it your own, you will not obtain the prize. You must press on as someone who wants to win the prize. Now, if perfection awaits us on the other side, why strive for something we can't attain in this life, on this side? Why even try we're just trying for something that's a zillion miles off. We're never going to re- we're going to burn out before we get there. Why try? The answer is God glorifying progress. That's the answer. God glorifying progress. Progress in knowledge of Christ and holiness can be made in this life. We can make progress. Perfection awaits us on the other side. Absolutely it does. We will not get perfection on this side. I think that's true that everybody sees that, but some, I guess, don't. But progress, which glorifies God and builds our joy on this side, is for us to grasp as well. We can make progress. Dr. Hendrickson said this, such advancement, such gradual development, when the seed of true religion has been implanted in the heart, must be considered normal. Normal. Progress is normal for those who belong to Jesus. Progress is in being made perfect is normal for those who belong to Jesus. Progress in knowing Christ more deeply is normal for those who belong to Jesus. So Paul's big one thing, I, I want to do this thing. The one big thing that he was sure to do, even though he was imperfect, even though he had a long way to go, the one big thing that we need to do, even though we're imperfect and we have a long way to go, as that finish line is drawing closer, not sure where it is, but it's coming and it's fast. That one big thing has three components. Number one, forget what lies behind you. Number two, strain forward to what lies ahead of you. And number three, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Make it the ambition of your life. Make it the one central focus with dogged determination. You will go after it with everything that you have so that you can know him, so that you can conform to him, so that you can obey him, so that you can see him for all that he's worth when the finish line comes. Finish well. Before I move on, let me encourage you older saints in here. You know who you are. I don't have to say an age range. (laughs) All right, so you are nearing the finish line. Let's just be honest about that. You're close. You have a little bit to go. The best thing you can do with your life, older saints, is to show us that your greatest desire is not to be young again or to have perfect health. Or for life to just stay the same as it always. Oh, the golden years. If I could only go back. No. No. Do not do that. We need you to do more than that. Show us that your greatest desire is to know Christ more deeply than you ever have known Him before and to reflect Him more brightly for others to see the people that are around you, older saints, we need you. Show us what it means to strain forward and to press on toward the prized upward call. Show us in the way that you pray. 
Show us in the way that you study scripture. Show us in the way that you serve others. Show us in your hunger and thirst for righteousness. Reach for that prize. Reach for Christ. Crawl to the finish with grit and determination, with bleeding hands and bleeding knees if you need to. Crawl. Do everything you can do to get to that finish line so that we can see you finish well. You finish strong by, number six, thinking maturely and trusting that God is still at work in you. Do you still believe that God is at work in you? Is, is God still conforming you to his son? I hope so. I hope so. He's not done with you yet. Until you reach the finish line, God is completing the work he started in you. Being content with the spiritual status quo, to be as you always have been, that shows so, such radical immaturity. You have to think maturely. It, it may even show an unregenerate heart. God is calling you and me to think maturely, to know that God is still conforming us to Christ. Listen to what Paul said in verse 15, and listen for how he marks maturity. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Just what he's been describing. Think this way. And if in anything you, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul was doing something in the Greek here that you can't so easily see in the English. The word mature is actually the word perfect from the, the same word group as perfect in verse 12. And it's a play on words. Paul wants to get the Philippians thinking. So he's essentially saying let those of us who are perfect think this way. Now he had just got done saying, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, so, so what is he doing here? What's he, what's he trying to do? And I think it's a bit tongue-in-cheek for him. Those who are perfect, really, those who are most mature, who get it, those Christians know their unceasing need for Christ and how much more they need to grow, and that drives them towards Christ. And at the same time, they run towards deepening their knowledge of Christ and becoming more holy, becoming more sanctified, becoming more obedient and they put all of themselves into pursuing the resurrection which is theirs to attain. They want Christ badly. And you can see it in their humble fight to the finish. Mature Christians think this way, as Paul is saying. They have Paul's logic in these verses. They live this way. Think is a huge concept in Philippians, as is joy. And this word for think shows up ten times. Having the mind of Christ produces this kind of thinking in people this kind of tenacious attitude, this tenacious lifestyle. They are humble. They are needy people, yet very motivated, very hardworking. The mature who think this way are committed to doing that one big thing. Press on toward knowing Christ and becoming perfect at the resurrection. Their greatest delight is belonging to Christ. But Paul knew that some wouldn't think this way, and so he encouraged them with the sovereignty of God. If you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. See, maturity in Christ comes as God reveals more and more and more to us. It's a process which brings progress. The more God reveals to you, the more that you hunger and thirst for more of God to reveal himself to you, his revelation the more that you hunger and thirst for, his, for this great resurrection where Jesus Christ will come back and, and fully reveal himself to you, that becomes more real. That becomes something that you want more and more. That is how the perfect or the mature think. Last one, you finish strong by number seven, pressing on in the same line of obedience. 
Now, Joe Gruber's here. Joe, we're glad to have you here. Imagine Joe Gruber marching in perfect formation with his army buddies. I mean, they're looking sharp. They're in uniform. They're in lockstep. Their movements are united. They keep in line. That's what Paul's idea of holding true is. You march in line. You fall in line and you stay on that line. Paul's appeal to the saints in Philippi, only let us hold true, only let us hold in line to what we have attained. Whatever amount of truth the Philippians had attained, however well they knew Christ, whatever obedience they had, Paul told them to hold true and to follow that line. Follow that line. The HCSB translates verse 16 like this. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Live up to it. The Philippians needed to hold true, needed to hold the line to what they had in Christ already, what they had accomplished thus far, and continue in that direction. And along with Paul, the Philippians were doing it. They were running the race. They were headed toward the goal for the prize. Dr. Johnson said, they are still... Uh, They are not still in the starting blocks. They can praise God for how far he has brought them as they keep running. Whatever maturity you you and I have attained, whatever knowledge of Christ we have attained, we must press on in the same line of maturity, same line of holiness, same line of going for Christ. So I guess if you remember one thing as as I draw this to a close, just remember one thing, one simple thing. Do one thing in life. Finish strong. Finish strong. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Finish strong to gain Christ. Finish strong to know Christ fully. Finish strong to be conformed to Christ. Finish strong because you belong to Christ. And your future resurrection is almost here. It's almost here. Strive for one simple thing. Finish strong. God, thank you for your message of hope that because of Jesus, we can finish strong. And I pray, God, that you would work your spirit in these beautiful people, that they would pursue that end goal, that finish line, in order to win that prize with every single thing inside of them as they surge ahead as your energy works in them. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you that he will provide everything we need to finish strong. Amen.